Well, this question came from Dagamore, and I hope I pronounced that correctly. Forgive me if I didn't. I'm studying the Laodicean church right now. I've been teaching on the churches and relating them to today's churches. Something you said made me think how the church in America has been so comfortable. Here's my question. From what I am reading on the history of the Laodicean church, it was under Hellenistic rule and freedom of worship was permitted. Do you think that freedom of religion can lead to a lukewarm church, one that is lazy and unprepared for battle? Well, I I think you're on to something there for sure. Um, Let me go ahead and... um, uh, well, just for a minute, for those who are unfamiliar, uh, what, what Degemar is talking about is chapters 2 and 3 in the book of Revelation. Uh, this is where Jesus himself, and this is a fascinating study in, in these two chapters, these seven churches that are addressed, because it's Jesus himself who is dictating these letters to these seven churches that existed as literal bodies of believers in this area of Turkey. We refer to it as Asia Minor uh, there in the first century. And so when John is taking down the revelation as he's receiving it, and in this particular passage, these words from Jesus himself for these churches, um, this is, uh, of course, makes for a fascinating study. Uh, Each letter begins with, to the angel of... Uh, and then a description of Christ himself, and then the content of each letter is uh, either a uh, an endorsement or an indictment or maybe a blend of the two uh, based on that particular church's condition uh, as seen through the eyes of Jesus himself, and then he addresses those churches, either commending or condemning various activities or elements within that church. And then there is, at the end, um, there is, uh, uh, typically throughout, there is then a call to some kind of action. Uh, and so there, again, it's fascinating and it's worth studying. As a matter of fact, it's too bad um, that the book of Revelation is so well known for everything else besides these two chapters, because uh, these seven letters in those two chapters, chapters two and three, is such an important thing to spend time on. We actually were in the book of Revelation about a year ago, uh, so uh, um, probably a year and a half or almost two years ago, we were in this very section of scripture. Um, so, and I love these letters. So anyway, that being said, what Degemar is doing by looking at these letters and then uh, relating them to the body of Christ today is a, is a pretty healthy exercise. As a matter of fact, there are basically three levels of interpretation slash application that is often employed when it comes to these seven letters. Uh, the first two, I'm a big fan and believe very strongly that there's value in. The third way, I'm a little less uh, connected with, but um, the first one would be the ind- individual application of it. When Jesus addressed these churches, what are churches but collections of people, bodies of people who make up a church, who are the church and gather locally in some setting? Here in these seven churches, they might be Ephesus or Laodicea or Smyrna or Pergamum or something like that, Pergamus. Uh, so the idea uh, of, of the church being made up of individuals would naturally then help us to understand and lend us to say, okay, when I read this letter, this is written to a you know the individuals within that body. Um, if I were in that church, what would Jesus be saying to me? It's like, does is there in fact an application that I should glean from in this? Sometimes it may be, sometimes it may not be. But really, uh, at some time in our lives, we probably find ourselves uh, in, a, in a condition much like any one of these seven churches at any given time. So there's a lot to be gleaned from that. You know, when Jesus says, well, here's what I see as the problem, and here's how I say you should address it. Well, that's valuable. I'd want to know that. And so uh, it might be that, you know, um, you're doing great. Church of Philadelphia, great commendation. Might be that you've left your first love, Church of Ephesus, right? 
So what does Jesus say? Well, he says, remember and repent or change your mind about where you're at and return to those first works. And so there's um, great instruction and insight given to believers on an individual level, because again, that's what a church is, a body of individuals who follow Jesus. And so um, uh, another level of interpretation slash application would be uh, the, the word to the body as a whole. Does my church look like this church? Again, everyone's church wants to look like Philadelphia, right? Everything's, you know, all cylinders are firing. Faithful. We might not have much going on, but we're faithful. You know, that's awesome. Uh, on the other hand, has our church found ourselves like the church in uh, Laodicea, where we're kind of poor, blind, miserable, and naked and don't realize it? You know, well, gosh, thank you, Lord, for pointing that out. Um, so there may be application to a church body in general. Individuals may be in a different place, but as a collective whole, the body is maybe in good shape or bad shape, or maybe some blend of the two, as some churches in these letters are. Uh, and then the third application, which again is the one that I'm not so hip on as much, is the idea that these churches, as they're laid out, actually lay out uh, uh, sort of a description of the different eras of church history. Uh, the Church of Ephesus in the beginning, speaking of sort of this church that has left its first love, and then Laodicea at the end, sort of a lukewarm church, uh, which I'll read the letter here in just a second as we more specifically address the, the question that Dagmar asks. Um, but that particular approach to understanding these letters is one that I'm least um, uh, really into because I, th uh, you know, when I, when I look at it, I can see in some cases where maybe that would connect, but by and large, it feels a bit contrived. And most of the teaching I hear on it seems to strive to make it kind of fit that. Um, you know, you may take issue with that, you know, which we, not we have to fight about. It's just that I don't personally really spend much time in that regard. But as far as the church being addressed or maybe an individual, I think there's a lot to be gleaned from that. Well, you know, when Paul in Romans um, 16, uh, was it 16 or was it 50? I think it was 16, where he talked about that which was written before was written for our learning, right? In other words, uh, not everything has direct application to us, but at least in principle, we can, you know, we can glean a lot of things from stuff that may, you know, may not have been directly written to me. Like, you know, for example, the epistles were written to the church, right? And so we get the idea of Paul's writings, but the old covenant was really for the Jews. Does that mean we can't learn anything from it or grow through it? Of course not. Yeah, we can absolutely learn from it and glean from it. And there can be lots of personal application from these things, but context is everything it was, uh, as a starting point for understanding those, those kinds of things. Anyway, all that said, um, just to familiarize you a little bit if you're not familiar with these two uh, chapters in Revelation. Um, so let's get more to the point here in the question. Again, from reading the history of the Laodicean church, it was under Hellenistic rule. In other words, it was heavily influenced by Greek culture. Uh, and freedom of worship was permitted. Do you think that freedom of religion can lead to a lukewarm church, one that is lazy and unprepared for battle? Yes, I do think so. I do think that uh, it is possible. However, let's kind of pick that apart for just a moment. Um, do you think that freedom of religion can lead to a lukewarm church? Well, if there's freedom of religion within the church, then that's a pretty messed up church because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. That's extremely exclusive. All religions at some point become exclusive. Uh, Christianity, of course, is no exception to that. Jesus claimed exclusivity. That's either true or it's not. If it's not true, why are we gathering around it? If it is true, then why are we leaving ourselves open to believing whatever somebody wants to believe in the body of fellowships? If we mean that within a church, that's a very bad thing. But if we mean it culturally, it's, it's an unavoidable reality. 
Um, we live in, even in America, which is founded on Judeo-Christian principles, uh, by and large, not entirely, but by and large. And I think even those writers that weren't believers kind of borrow from much of that objective reality and truth, uh, even though they may not necessarily bend the knee to Jesus. But even outside of that, uh, there are other writers that, um, that, that, you know, believed in God per se, but would not have been classified as born-again followers of Christ. So in a culture where you have broad diversity of religious beliefs, it's just the reality of things. It's, it's just what it is. Is that good? Does God use it? Yes. Would I say it's good? No, because everything outside of the gospel in, in regards to having a right relationship with God is deceiving and misleading you to some other belief that is not true. So in that sense, no, but it is the reality of things. It's what life is. And so therefore, if we try to Christianize culture and push all those other things out, I think we're, we're, we're shooting for something we're never going to obtain. Uh, the Bible never tells us that we're going to Christianize the world. The Bible tells us that Jesus will come and establish his kingdom, uh, Daniel chapter 2, Revelation 19 into, into chapter 20. Um, we see that that's how it's going to ultimately happen. We're not going to change the world and make it Christian, but we're going to go into the world and we're going to bring the gospel that people might be saved out of this world. Uh, and so um, I, I do think it it can lead to a lukewarm church, and this actually uh, kind of gets me back to um, um, the opening of each of these letters, which is to the angel of the church of, or the messenger of the church of, or potentially, because the word angelos can speak of angel as we generally think of it, or can speak of a messenger, uh, and it, it does uh, just mean messenger um, um, in other contexts in the New Testament, uh, it is very possible that what Jesus, who Jesus is addressing in each church is the pastor of those churches, or the leader of those churches. So, um, a church that is influenced by culture around it, rather than being an influence on the culture around it, um, is one that needs to be addressed, and Jesus does address that, uh, and he speaks to the pastor or the leader of that church, that that church might be brought back in line. Let me go ahead and read the letter to um, uh, the Laodicean church, which is typically referred to as the lukewarm church, and you'll see why in a moment if you're not familiar with the letter. This is in chapter 3 of Revelation, starting in verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, this is, uh, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent." Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, come into him and dine with him and he with me. In other words, I will enter in and have fellowship with you. That's a very, uh, uh, very uh, oriental, eastern kind of uh, concept. Verse 21, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You see that at the end of all the letters as well. So, again, a letter addressed to the leader, 
probably the pastor of it may not speak of an angel overseeing the church, but it probably speaks to the leader or the messenger who is standing as God's messenger to the church, the leader of the church, with these words. Now, again, we see here um, that this is a church that is addressed by Jesus who addresses himself as the true and faithful witness. They, on the other hand, are quite the opposite because they have, rather than uh, been hot or cold, they are lukewarm and therefore good for nothing. Now, this is a, a detail about the church of Laodicea that demonstrates that Jesus knows this church. Laodicea had aqueducts that brought water into the city, and when the water came into the city, it was lukewarm and was kind of disgusting. Uh, the fact that it was neither hot or it could be used for boiling and cooking or purifying nor was it cold and refreshing to drink. In other words, hot and cold in this context are both good things um, uh, because they speak of, of, of water that can be used for something good. But if it's lukewarm, it's really good for nothing. And Jesus says, I'll spit you out of my mouth. It's disgusting. Uh, that would have been a detail that would have resonated with them because they completely would understand the metaphor. Um, and so he also describes them as being uh, completely unaware of their actual condition. They believe that they're rich and in need of nothing, but in fact, they're, uh, they're, they're poor, blind, pitiable, uh, wretched, naked, all this, you know, they're, and they don't even know it. Um, this is a horrible indictment to think that you, uh, that, that you're calling yourself a believer, but you don't even recognize how completely, um, um, useless your testimony is as a believer because you're so self-absorbed and so self-sufficient and everything. There's nothing, much more could be said on this, but clearly Jesus is indicting them. Now that's not even the strongest indictment. The strongest indictment is actually in verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Now think about that. We often use that passage when we're trying to witness to unbelievers. Hey, Jesus stands at the door and knock. If you open and knocks, if you open the door, I'll come in. Believe it or not, this passage is not really speaking to unbelievers. He's talking about coming back into fellowship with his own followers. Where is he? Jesus is on the outside of the church wanting to come back into it. That's probably about the strongest indictment you could make against the body of believers is that you guys are carrying on your business and don't even know Jesus isn't there. Wow, that's awful. Is that the church today? Well, you, you probably could make a pretty good case for that, right? Um, but the point is that Jesus indicts the church because they are in such comfortable condition that they don't even know that Jesus doesn't really play a part in their church. Uh, I will say, by way of example, when my family and I moved here to um, uh, to Franklin, when we moved down to Tennessee and we lived in Franklin, um, and we started the church in 2009, um, we really had kind of a rough go on it. It was kind of unfamiliar territory. And, and the thing we used to say to describe the condition of uh, of ministry in Franklin was that it was difficult because nobody needed anything. Um, people, you know, there's, there's tons of churches. Um, everybody down here in, in the Southeast is kind of, kind of a Christian. Everyone grew up with it. Everybody goes to church. It's not really a matter of, Hey, do you go to church? It's more a question of where do you go to church? Uh, it's changed over the time. More people have moved here from other places, but when we got here like 15, 16 years ago, uh, it was a very different environment. We were like, okay, well, how do you reach people that are fine? you know? 
And um, but over time, just you know, through the teaching of the word and 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 through various circumstances that have come over the years, uh, the body has grown very healthy, very strong. They need each other. They're in deep fellowship. A lot of times, it's really much much different kind of a place than where we started. And uh, I could I would often think of the church in Laodicea where it's like, hey man, you know, it's church is more about what can I get out of it than than what is it about really. And so I would think, wow, okay, well, how do we how do we crack this nut? How do we work this out? So I, I kind of get that, you know. So to answer your question, Dagmar, you know, does this kind of condition, uh, or in your specific question, freedom of religion, um, you know, can it make for a lukewarm church that's, that's not ready for battle, that's really kind of lazy and, and not really thinking in terms of, um, you know, what's important or what's coming or any of that kind of thing? Yeah, I definitely think it can. And the and, and the the correction that Jesus brings is one that I think is a valuable one for uh for anyone who would kind of fall into the lukewarm category, whether it's a person or a body of believers, uh to take heed to. What did Jesus say? Um, well, he said, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. Now they were already wealthy. As a matter of fact, an earthquake had taken place in Laodicea that leveled the city. And uh, help was offered from Rome to rebuild the city. But because Laodicea was kind of fiercely independent, um, um, the Laodiceans actually took up collection from within themselves and rebuilt the city without any help from Rome. Uh, it was an interesting thing, but that, that, that speaks volumes of their self-sufficiency. Well, Jesus here is telling them that, you know, you think you're doing great because you're self-sufficient, but you have... You've demonstrated that you're not actually in good condition, like you don't need anything, you think. Uh, It's really not terribly unlike in some respects the way Jesus addressed the Pharisees when he said, I've not come for the those who are well, but for those who are sick. Well, he wasn't implying that the Pharisees were well. He's kind of mocking them because they think they're fine when in fact they need a doctor as much as the ones that they thought were quote unquote sick. And so here in the condition of this church, uh, he says, I counsel you to buy gold refined in the fire. In other words, that which is pure, that you may be rich, in fact, and not just think that you're rich when you're not. White garments that you, instead of like clothing yourself with all the, um, um, you know, uh, sort of just the your your own acts of righteousness and that kind of thing, rather instead recognize the lack of value in that and rather, you know, put your stock in that which is given to you, that that garment, uh, that white garment, that you may be clothed and the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see, again, a, a, a product that was among the many products that were produced in Laodicea was an eye salve that would help cleanse your eyes from all the dirt and filth that you'd pick up in the course of a day. Well, Jesus says, you guys think you've got it all going on, but you don't, you know, come to me. In other words, you need what I have. And so he encourages them to come to him with this. And again, of course, the call to fellowship in verse 20. But remember in verse 19, whom I love, these I chasten, these I rebuke. Therefore, be zealous and repent or change your mind, see your actual condition and turn from it. So, um, so you know, Dagmar, kudos to you for uh, for taking time to go through these letters and, and considering, you know, relating them to the church. Try not to be too harsh on the church today. I think that rebuke and correction is necessary, but you want to be careful not to go too far in putting down another man's bride, if you understand what I'm saying. You want to make sure that we're gracious and we're able to communicate these ideas in a way that really brings about a desire to repent and to change. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 you know, experience really the free flowing grace of God in our lives. 
Um, it is a shame that the church, which has more resource available to it than ever in history, um, in terms of access to the word and instruction and, and opportunities to fellowship and all this kind of thing. And even I would, I would, I would throw in that mix, by the way, um, the, uh, you know, the whole COVID thing and how everybody was separated for a time and all that kind of stuff. That's one of the great things that caused our church to really come together after we closed down for a few weeks, well, it was about eight weeks altogether. When we came back together, man, everybody was just like, we need each other. So even that was kind of a, a blessing in disguise in, in that regard. And so, um, you know, in, in our culture where we have all experienced these things and we find ourselves in a place where, by and large, we have the freedom to gather, um, it's a shame to think that that believers could be so comfortable uh, as to sort of not realize where we might actually be in terms of our spiritual health. Um, and and again, more could be said on that. Um, I will say this last thing in, in regard to the church in Laodicea. It is interesting that the letter to the Colossians written by Paul about 30 years before Jesus dictated this letter to John, um, uh, Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians while he was in prison, one of his four prison epistles. And, uh, and he wrote to the church in Colossae, and it was all about the Christ of the church, you know, the glory of of Christ and what he's accomplished and finished and 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 all of this kind of stuff that is so Christ-centered uh, about the person of Christ specifically. Um, and at the end of the letter in chapter 4, verse 16, he, he says to read this letter from Laodicea. In other words, make sure the Laodiceans hear this letter 30 years earlier than this. Uh, and here they are 30 years after that point, and, and they find themselves with Jesus on the outside trying to get in. Uh, it's a it's a it's a sad indictment uh, of that church over time, uh, but it's a good lesson for us to um, to consider. And so um, so thanks for asking about that. I think that was great. Uh, certainly, we do need to be prepared for the spiritual battles that we face every day, and certainly in culture, we're going to find ourselves more and more on the outs. And so we need to be fortified in Christ as we come upon these days. So thanks for asking the question. If you have any questions or thoughts you'd like to share, you can always do so in our comments section on our YouTube channel. Uh, or if you want to email me at info at calvarychapelfranklin.com, you can do that as well. And I try to answer these questions uh, when they come in. So uh, Dagmar, thanks for yours. But Father, we thank you and praise you for reminding us of these kinds of things that uh, and and being willing uh, Lord Jesus to to sort of poke your finger uh, uh, on the shoulder of a church uh, or even on a believer uh, who is maybe gone wayward or has become kind of uh, you know a lukewarm or doesn't even realize their actual condition anymore Father we do pray that you would help us to be aware of this that we would in fact repent of this and and uh, return as it was with the Ephesians back to our first love if we're in that condition. Uh, when we're in a place that is commendable, that's wonderful. Help us to stay in that place where we continue to be, a, uh, you know, bringing you glory and honor through our lives and our words and such. And so, but when we're not, help us to be willing to admit that correction from you or to uh, receive that correction and rebuke from you, uh, because we know that who you love, you chasten. And so, therefore, if you're chastening us, it's because you do care, because you do want us to turn. You do want us to experience the fullness of relationship with you that you've invited us to. So, Father, help us to enjoy that sweet fellowship with the Son uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit as we, make it, uh, as we make it through each day in these days in which we live. Father, we do recognize that the time is drawing close where we'll be punching out and going home. And so, Father, help us to be walking in faithfulness and dependence upon you every day as we seek to walk in the Spirit. So thank you, Father. We love you and praise you and bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.